Welcome! This is the Hassan Sorrells Audio Experience. My name is Hassan Sorrells. Look, we are trying something different. So I want you to join us on the Hassan Sorrells Presents Audio Experience for interviews, for rants, for raves, for thoughts, for process. And you'll get a knee-deep, hip-deep, and ear-deep view inside of what I do. Look, if you like what you're listening to, please like me, please rank me, Stitcher, iTunes, Overcast, Google Play Music, everywhere where you get your groove on, I want you to give me a few stars. All right, now, let's head into the experience. Hello. Normally, I put the ad reads at the back end of the podcast so that you can hear the good stuff and not have to listen to me shill pointlessly for two minutes. Just so you know, I do this intentionally in our production because even I object to commercials as much as the next podcast listener. However, at this moment, I would ask that you indulge me because I've got a book coming out on April 30th, 2022 on Amazon, and I'd like you to go ahead and place your order right now. The book's title is 12 Rules for Leaders, The Foundation for Intentional Leadership, and it's a collection of 13 essays on leadership. In the book, I address the 12 leadership areas that we have found leaders need to be the most effective in, and then I throw in an extra essay there, the back end. From establishing a foundation of leading teams through managing conflict effectively, all the way through leading teams through change, knowing what to do and why to do it, I believe can help you become a better leader. This book wasn't written just over the course of the last two years, And this isn't another fly-by-night leadership development book, here today and gone in the wind in the next month. 12 Rules for Leaders represents a continuation of the work we've been doing here at HSCT Publishing with our leadership training and development products and services, from leadership toolbox to leading keys, and it also represents the distillation of lessons we've learned, absorbed, and transmitted to others from training and developing around 15,000 managers and supervisors over the course of the last 10 years. This is no slouch of a book, but it's written in an easy to understand and easy to read direct format with practical tips that you can implement today, no matter your leadership problem, your leadership situation, or your leadership circumstances. It's kind of like getting coaching from me directly without having to pay my full coaching rate. I fundamentally believe that this is the book right now for right now, because leaders like you are positioned to do great work during the truly revolutionary times we are living in, well, right now. And sometimes you need a book as a guide to help you through the work. So head on over to leadershiptoolbox.us and scroll down the homepage, click on the link, and add your name to the pre-order list for 12 Rules for Leaders, the Foundation for Intentional Leadership. And look for the book in hardcover, paperback, and Kindle format on Amazon on April 30th, 2022. By the way, we'll be talking about the rules in 12 Rules for Leaders in our podcasts, both the long and the short, throughout the months of May and June, so you don't want to miss out on that. And well, that was three minutes. So that's it for me. Out. Yeah, you look. It's too late. You're recording now. So. (laughs) You look great. You look great. You 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 look like a stud.
You got the backlighting. Got the bald head. I mean, it's two guys in the same fraternity talking to each other. Come on, we look good. We we go to the same barber in different cities. Mm-hmm. We do same barber. That's hey, that's a good tagline for the show. Same barber, different cities. There you go. Went to different so, schools together. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I always think of the line from a No Country from Old Men when uh, Josh. I don't know if you ever seen that movie, but like, no. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, you know that actor. He's mm-hmm. in it. And uh, Josh Brolin, who was um, Thanos in Avengers, they had okay. him all makeuped up or whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones says, uh, you know, that old boy, he's seen some of the same things I've seen. And he's come to some of the same conclusions I've come to. <laughs> this is after, yeah. like, Josh Brolin stole the drug dealer's money in the New Mexico desert. And, 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 and the... the, oh. the the sheriff of is like, whatever, what are you doing? <laughs> Basically. <Yeah. laughs> like, what, what, why would you go? Why would you do that? That's, that's not. Yes. Why? Why? Because it's it was a, there. <laughs> I, I think it was Billy the Kid. Was it Billy yeah. the Kid? They asked him, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. That was John Dillinger. Was it John Dillinger? Okay. John Dillinger. Bill, Billy the Kid was not nearly as loquacious or quick with the wit. Um, and I know this because Johnny Depp played John Dillinger in the John Dillinger movie directed by Michael Mann got it because i'm a huge movie file and so that's kind of how i know that <laughs> and and i don't because i'm not so. you're not you know you know so i'll just take your word for it there you go well well and, and you know the our, our all 10 of our listeners will back check me and it'll be fine i'll get a bunch of emails <laughs> nice <laughs> nice <laughs> we'll be trending so hard we'll get tens and tens of views i love that all state <laughs> <laughs> we might even make it to the double digits we might even <laughs> all right so um Matthew, Matthew Solomon. So tell us, tell the tell the listeners a little bit about who Matthew Solomon is, and uh, and why I'm talking to Matthew Solomon today. Well, as far as who I am, yeah, who are um, you? Who are you, and why are you here? <laughs> Other than I asked I you, mean, to come honestly, on. <laughs> I I feel like I am a regular guy in a position way over my head, swimming upstream, trying to make a difference in the world. Um, using some of my personal experiences to try to help others out of pitfalls that they might find themselves in the same way that other people mentored and helped me out of the pitfalls that I found myself. In. Okay. So it's just my way of giving back. Cool. So let's and talk serving about God. and serving God. Right. Well, we, we want to talk about, I want to talk about the serving God piece. Um, I want to talk about the mentoring piece today with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the work you're doing currently with your current organization. And what is the name of that organization and where are they located? I am the men's program director at Life Choices Center in Binghamton, New York. Awesome. Binghamton, New York. The uh, the triple cities, such as it were. Yes. Yes. The, the Valley Tier. of Hope. <laughs> See, the valley part is, is the problem. Um, it's kind of cloudy here all the time, but, you know, the light shines wherever we are, so we're happy. That's right. That's right. We walk. We walk in the light of Christ. Amen um, to that. I believe that uh, I saw that somewhere. No, actually, in Texas, they wear shirts that say "Y'all need Jesus," and then they like, and then they like walk away. But anyway, that's uh, that's my own personal experience. But anyway, um, okay. So, how did we get connected? How did that happen? Do you remember actually, that? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, so how did we get connected? Well, I'd uh, just touch on a, a brief bit of my story. Tell the whole um, story. Tell, just let it flow. Just relax. Right. Let it flow. 
Well, um, to do that, I'll go back a number of years. Uh, yeah. I grew up in a, I grew up in New York in a traditional middle-class family, construction worker family, um, youngest of three kids. Mm-hmm. And my dad worked all the time and was sometimes physically present in that he would come home, mm-hmm. but mostly it was just to go to sleep. Uh, I found myself outside the home doing things that would not make my family happy mm-hmm. and making some horrible choices and found myself in some really bad situations. Mm-hmm. And it resulted in a term of incarceration. Mm-hmm. I spent a substantial portion of my life in prison mm-hmm. and along the path of my my prison tenure mm-hmm. I found myself at one of the lowest points in my life mm-hmm. I had had my daughter uh, June the 27th of 1998 and she was born to me while I was incarcerated and my dad my biggest supporter and advocate and actually the the supporter of my family died three months later on September the 23rd. I didn't know what we were going to do. Like I said, he was the supporter, my biggest advocate and supporter, but also the supporter of my family. And I knew that in my current circumstances, in my current situation, there was no way that I could not take his place, but be the supporter of my family. And I, w- I knew that I wanted to do a couple of things. And one of them was to care for my family. Uh, and I wanted to be the best daddy to my daughter that I could be. And what the result of that was that I started moving in a direction and seeking the things of God. Growing up, I knew about God, but I didn't know God at all. So I had heard about him and there were some great people in my life at that time that were leading me in a direction. But being hard-headed and not taking advice very well, not only resulted in my incarceration, but also kept me away from the Lord. Well, I came to know now that we hear the story of the fleece and I'm going to stick it out. And if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, Lord, I know you exist. But then it went a step further and he said, I'm going to leave it out. And if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I really know you exist. Well, I had a moment like that in my life. And I actually challenged God. And I said, if you're real, you know, you're going to have to reveal that to me. And that was in a prison cell in welcoming in the new year in 2000 when, you know, The prison system was alive and well and screaming and yelling. And I found myself curled up in a ball on my bed. And the peace that enveloped me at that time was overwhelming. And it was so tangible that there was no doubt that God was real and he was touching me at that time. And I'm not going to tell you that everything changed immediately. But the process of sanctification takes place over a lifetime. Well. I had prayed years ago, never truly believing or knowing if I was going to make it home. And at some points in my life, I actually expected to die in prison. And as the story goes, sadly, 
at most points during that, that would have been okay. But God saw it different. And I prayed prayers in hope, but I'm not sure I prayed them in faith because my hope was that I would make it home. The truth was I wasn't sure I believed. Yet God in his faithfulness heard my prayers and answered them. And on May 14th uh, of 2019, I earned my physical freedom. Now, years before that, I earned my spiritual freedom, which resulted in a level of emotional freedom. And it allowed me to venture off into other areas in my life to seek other things in my life, such as education and um, serving the Lord. And upon my release, my physical release on May 14, 2019, I came home and I was with my family and I was all excited. And as the story goes, I was supposed to go to a church across town. Mm -hmm. A friend of our family who is a dear friend of mine pastors a church in Endicott, New York. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't have a car. So, you know, from getting from my house to Endicott, you know, walking was out of the question. I wasn't right. <laughs> and I used to walk with my grandson every mm -hmm. day. And I passed this little church or a little church. It's actually a pretty good sized church, but I passed this church across the street down from my house every day. And the first week, my first Sunday home, I missed church and I was sick behind it. Mm -hmm. um, it had been the first Sunday that I missed church in ages. And the second Sunday, the same thing happened. I didn't have a ride to go to, to my friend's church. And I Googled on this phone that I got that I was so excited by, way smarter than me. I Googled the the church on the corner, the Holy Spirit brought the name back to my remembrance. And I Googled it, found out what time their services were, and I went there. And I ended up at Family Life Church on May 26th of 2019. Um, and I met a gentleman by the name of Payson Sorrells. Oh, that's me. I, my, yes, my, it is. On, my name is on the podcast. <laughs> I didn't notice. Yeah. And that's actually how we made acquaintance. Yeah. Um, you know, met some good people that day, many of which are still in my life today. And, you know, I can't say enough about the church. I can't say enough about the people. I can't say enough about the relationships that were forged when I walked in there that day and have, and have been maintained, you know, through today. You know, to be able to say that I can call you on the phone and that sometimes you'll answer is pretty cool. <laughs> well, I mean, I got all these other things going on too. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like podcasts. Like podcast. Well, yes, there's a pod. I mean, this is, this is one of like four podcasts and then I've got yeah. like books that I'm writing and I've got like trainings that I'm doing and, oh yeah, I've got this thing called a family. And I mean, it's just, it's right. very, it's very, who I, listen, who I love dearly. It's all encompassing. It's all encompassing. Amen. It is all encompassing. So, and of course, there's my relationship with the Lord, which we'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, big shout out to Pastor Joe Coudray, who, uh, yes. who uh, 
I would. Amen. He wouldn't say that he runs Family Life Church. He wouldn't say that, um, and neither would Pastor Don. He would just say that he's a steward of it. Uh, I suspect. Amen. And uh, and uh, but but shout out to him for you know taking the opportunity to welcome guys like us um, into uh, into his flock, coming from a whole bunch of different places. So yeah, I agree. And and I'll tell you that um, from my heart. One man to another, I will tell you that I love Joe Kudre. Mm -hmm. I consider him not just my pastor, but I consider him a dear friend. Mm -hmm. um, his wife, Pastor Dawn Kudre, mm -hmm. you know, Dawn is great and, you know, love her dearly. They they welcomed me in, as you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, welcomed me in at a time when I was just not... I. I don't like the word re-entry. I mm -hmm. was not re-entering society. I was trying desperately to reintegrate into society. I wanted to become part of, I didn't want to just come into. Mm -hmm. And then once they got to know me, they not only did they see beyond my past, mm -hmm. but they saw value. Right. They saw potential. They saw purpose. And as you know, they, offered me a job. I was on staff at the church mm -hmm. for, you know, for a time I consider it home. Mm -hmm. Family life church is my home and the people are my family. And, you know, some have moved away to Texas, but they're still my family and they're still my friends. And, you know, it's just an, it was an amazing opportunity and you're right. The shout outs are well-deserved. Well, and this is, see, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on was because <clears throat> we have a lot of talk in our world today about Christians this and Christians that, or, or Bible believers this or Bible believers that, and, um, you know, the church this or the church that. And as our culture, and I talk about this extensively on Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast, you should listen to that one as well, um, where we read a great book and then we try to pull leadership ideas and thoughts and concepts from it, or even we try to pull... Um, thorns in the side as saint paul would say <laughs> or stumbling blocks for leaders and try to point those out and say hey uh don't don't stumble over that or hey that's going to poke you you might want to avoid that thorn we talk a lot about in that podcast the underpinnings of western culture because fundamentally i believe that western culture is in danger of being knocked over for a whole variety of reasons that are that are material and economic and uh the physical infrastructure parts but primarily because of this this thing that that matthew's talking about and i want to connect that idea to this the thing that matthew was talking about is is what christians actually are and what christians actually do and you know people will talk about well did you go visit them in prison or did you do this or did you do that all those are interesting maybe conversations to have but they fundamentally are um irrelevant conversations at the end of the day What's relevant is what is done with an individual when they are faced with another individual and they are operating in Christian love. Uh, the Pharisees ask Jesus, who is your neighbor? And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, Jesus said they gave them the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, fundamentally, here's an interesting thing that Zig Ziglar pointed out back in the day, the motivational speaker um, and writer and author and Christian. Um, 
that old boy, as he put it, because he was from he was from Mississippi, that old boy, you know, that old boy, uh, when he came by and saw that guy by the side of the road, he couldn't have helped him out unless he had a little bit of money. <laughs> couldn't have put him up unless he had some yep. cash, right? Well, sure. you know, fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is a tool. There's nothing wrong with the Internet. The Internet is a tool. There's nothing wrong Amen. with having a building or having resources. Those are tools. And when we when the church uses those tools to help guys like Matthew or guys like me. And I put myself in there with Matthew. We are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the sight and the glory of God. Well, that's when the church is operating, not only at its best, but it's operating inside of its actual mission, which is going and spreading the gospel to the word, to the, to the world. So, you know, that's hugely important for all of you listeners out there to hear who are non-Christians, um, or who maybe have skepticism about the church, or maybe have no clue what you believe. Um, I think that it's incredibly, incredibly important for us to to talk about these things out loud. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a pastor on uh, in another couple episodes here, uh, talking about theology and culture um, and the intersections between the two of those areas. And I think the pastor we're going to have on and Pastor Joe would probably agree on quite a number of different things. They might differ on points of theology. But I think they would agree on quite a few, quite a few things with cultural trends. So, look, this is what the church does. It helps people who have come out of all types of situations. And I don't care what those situations are, um, again, because we've all sinned and God doesn't we've all missed the mark, you know, Amen. Um, and God doesn't God doesn't uh, delineate or uh, differentiate in that. So um, I won't necessarily say I want to move on from this, but this is a good baseline for us to begin to leap off because you said a lot of different things there. And I want to leap off into this idea of purpose because you use that word purpose, right? And you struggled yeah. a little bit. You and I have talked about this and we've walked through some some conversations and had interactions around figuring out your purpose um, as you, I love that term, reintegrated with the world, not reentered, reintegrated, right? And so talk with us a little bit about how fine how your how the path of finding your purpose led you to the work that you're doing now at um at Life Choices Center. Well, first I'm gonna lead right into that, but I want to touch on something that you said that I find important in my life. When when they ask Jesus who your neighbor is, um, you know, and I've come to learn that my neighbor is everybody that I come in contact with that everybody I pass on the street is potentially viewed as my neighbor. Um, they're not all brothers and sisters. Some are, are my neighbors. And no matter how superficial the relationship is, because I believe that even two ships passing in the night are, are neighbors. So if I just walk past somebody on the street and just acknowledge them in their personhood, in their humanity, in the fact that they are created in the image of God, then they are my neighbor, if I can just do that. And there's nothing greater sometimes than somebody walking past you that you don't know that just smiles and says good morning. Even if they don't stop. Because I'm also a firm believer that if I say to you, how you doing? And you go to answer me and I walk away, then I'm not being loving. If I ask you the question, how you doing? And you go to give me the answer, then I should stop and listen. And the other thing is that you touched on is the Great Commission. God said to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Well, I say this, that St. Francis said, 
Our job is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and only when necessary use words. So I need to be kind to people. I need to love people and I need to meet them where they're at. Just like I want people to meet me where I'm at. And so what I'll say is what world was Jesus talking about in the great commission? When he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, what world was he talking about? We don't have to go to another continent to reach the world. I just need to go next door mm-hmm. because Every culture, like we talk about cultures, every culture that we face is a world in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And if I can insert the love of the gospel into that world, I can meet people for the kingdom. I can introduce people to Jesus Christ by introducing them to the love of Christ. The same way it was introduced to me at a time in my life when I will tell you I didn't deserve it, but thank God he thought I did. I might not think I did, but God knew better. Yeah. Because God is love. So Having touched on that, you say, how do I equate that into the life I find myself in now? Yeah. And yeah, I'll your tell purpose. You that, what, what was that? What was that arc like? Right. <clears throat> well, I will tell you that many years ago in prison ministry, I was very active in ministry inside. I saw myself in ministry when I re-entered, re-entered society. When I reintegrated into society, I saw myself one day in ministry. The funny thing is that I didn't realize it was going to be this ministry. I thought, well, it'll be a pulpit ministry. It'll be a classroom ministry. I never thought I would see myself in this ministry. And the ministry that I find myself in today is the ministry of fatherhood. And Life Choices Center I will tell you, saw beyond my past also. My executive director, Michelle Brown, an amazing woman of God, saw beyond my past. And after a lengthy interview process, introduced me to this ministry. Well, I will tell you that my purpose was developed many, many years ago. My purpose, when my daughter was born 23 years ago, She's going to be 24 in June. 23 years ago, actually 24 years ago, because she was still in the womb, I realized that there were things that I needed to do to be the best father that I could be and to go beyond that to be the best daddy that I could be. So my purpose at that time was to not only recognize life, not only appreciate life, but to enhance life. Well, I started to do that for my own daughter, and it started initially as book learning. I just needed to learn. So later on, after she was born, I hadn't I didn't come to the Lord for about a year and a half after she was born, but I realized that I needed change in my life. So I started to do things in a positive fashion, more positive. And that increased my purpose. Then Let's jump ahead to Mm -hmm. my release from prison. That purpose continued on a greater scale because now I was part of my daughter's life physically, not just a voice on the phone, not just somebody going on visits or writing letters. I was actually physically there now. And I'll tell you, it wasn't without its trials, as you know, personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I love my daughter dearly and 
that does not mean that everything she does coincides with everything that I do or feel. Or really? <laughs> she's an adult. Yeah. Wait, she's human. <laughs> um, so my purpose continued. Well, I always appreciated life. I had an understanding that life started in the womb, that life started at conception. I believe that wholeheartedly. And now I had an opportunity not only to enhance my daughter's life, but she's got two children. Caden uh, turned four yesterday. Um, and actually, I'm sorry, Caden turned four uh, two days ago on the 26th. And Dallas turned two in December on the 5th. And now I have a chance to sow into their lives. So my purpose now continued again and became more enhanced because now I had a hands-on experience with children, with babies that I didn't have opportunity for you know, prior to that. Mm -hmm. And now I find myself in this ministry of usually young fathers that are lost a little bit, um, don't have the understanding, don't have the education, don't have the appreciation for the sanctity of life. Well, just a little about life choices for a second. We are celebrating our 30th anniversary this year, and we've been serving men and women before, during, and after unplanned pregnancies and the situations that they find themselves in. We provide information, resources, and services all free of charge to people that need direction, that need guidance. Um, we provide parenting classes and mentoring and physical support like baby clothes and diapers and wipes, all these things, formulas and baby food. We provide all of these things free of charge and we thank God for our donors. We thank God for our sponsors that support this ministry. Well, Back to my personal purpose, I find myself to be part of this. And again, I never saw myself in this ministry. And I prayed many years ago, number one, for my opportunity, for my physical freedom. And God heard those prayers and answered them. I am living the answer to prayers prayed long ago. And I also prayed for an opportunity to serve in ministry. And now I find myself here. So what does that look like as far as my purpose goes? Somebody will come back here and tell me that we've got a walk-in. And I will tell you that some of these walk-ins, I see myself in them. Young men walking through the door, lost. Um, not sure what they're going to do about life, not sure if they're going to support the woman in their life, let alone the child in the equation. And I get to speak to them initially about information, about options, about choices. I develop a relationship with these guys. And coming from where I come from, I can relate to a lot of them. And I will tell you some of my greatest experiences in life are walking through these doors now. And just a, a quick story. 
young man a couple of weeks. Well, now it's actually about six weeks ago. Young man, 21 years old, walks through the door. He's with his 19-year-old girlfriend, an unplanned pregnancy, and they are abortion-minded. My job is to love that person. Um, Life Choices has a position that is called the pro-love movement, not just pro-life, but pro-love, because Jesus is love, and God loves us enough to give us the choice to come into relationship with him. Well, he also gave us the choice to come into relationship with each other. And this child that's growing in the wombs of women coming in here with that need answers, that need guidance, that need the wisdom and love that we can provide here. And now that we've started a full-time men's program, we can love the men in that equation into life-affirming decisions also. So I developed these relationships with these guys. And this one in particular came in a little hostile, um, not disrespectful, but a little hostile and wouldn't even look up. He was playing on his phone and I introduced myself and he, yeah, what's up? And I asked him if I could speak to him. And they were there for a pregnancy test. So I brought him in the back and we're talking. And a couple of things came out. Number one, he said he believed that the test was going to be positive. So he said, I don't know if I'm ready to be a father. I said, well, actually, you already are. And I got to introduce the concept of life already growing in in this girl that he claims to love, that he claims to care about. And we got to talking and. Long story short, he has some interests that are not my interests. His taste in music is not my taste in music. His lifestyle is not my lifestyle. But I will tell you what. I saw myself sitting in his seat. And I recognized and I empathized where he was at. And I recognized the fear that was causing this reaction in him. Well, we had a great talk. And when we were done, his girlfriend came out of the room and I brought them next door to the baby store. We maintain a baby store with all these things, material uh, things for them. I brought them to the baby store and they were looking at baby clothes and joking around and jump ahead now to two weeks ago. I was told that there's a young man out there. I went out and when I walked through the door, called him by name, said hello to him and his girlfriend. They were there for an ultrasound this day. I greeted him coming through the door. The reaction was not, yeah, what's up? The reaction was that he jumped up out of his seat, shook my hand and hugged me. Hmm. And when I invited him back to the office that we could have a talk, I told him that I would bring him back when they brought his girlfriend in for her ultrasound. Mm -hmm. When they were prepping her, we could just take a few minutes to talk. He said, I want to go back there and talk to you now. Mm -hmm. And he turned to his girlfriend and said, you don't mind, right? And she said, no. So he came in the back and we sat down, shared, you know, a bottle of water and got to talking and he was light. And I got to talk to him about different things. Now Mm -hmm. they've already decided to choose life. Mm -hmm. 
he made a life-affirming decision. The baby is alive and well and mm-hmm. growing in her womb. He, since our talk, has gone out. He's gainfully employed. Now, I'm not saying I did anything. Mm-hmm. I just took the opportunity to let him know that he's heard. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm just listening, but I am hearkening to what he has to say. Mm-hmm. And I can meet him where he's at and maybe give him a few solutions to the situations that he's facing, the hurdles that he's facing. And that's my purpose today. So we're having you on in an arc of guests that we're having on the podcast. Talking about and and really circling around this idea of fathers fathers, um, and their relationship to families. Um, we had an interview with a gentleman who um, he um, he was on drugs for many many years. He OD'd twice. A good friend of mine OD'd twice. He's a poet and a musician now. Very fractured relationship. He's a drug and alcohol or former drug and alcohol counselor, along with many other things. Um, been clean and sober for many many years, but still struggling with sort of a narcissistic father who's still around. You know, narcissistic father and just kind of you know how do you navigate that? Okay. Then we had a conversation with a gentleman who mentors fathers, um, in particular, um, mentors young men who are young minority males. Um, and, and he made the assertion um, in our interview that we released last week, uh, he made the assertion that, you know, minority males have this extra layer of, 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 of con of a not conflict but this extra layer of stuff to overcome Mm. um because of the nature of how america is in american culture and what it means to actually be a man right and so he's very much focused on mentoring young men into becoming men because there's not a i I agree with him maybe not necessarily strongly as strongly on the minority male piece but i believe in general males are not given a whole lot of strong role models right um, and are not actually told, here's what it means to be a man. Um, right. And then you even talked about your relationship with your father. And, and you, you, know, you framed it as sort of, you know, he was physically present sometimes. <laughs> um, but then he was asleep and he worked very hard, right? And so concepts of male, maleness, um, particularly adult maleness, are tied up with work and providing and provision and, and all of that. And... Um, when it gets to children, when it gets to the family, that's where I think our culture struggles. Um, we struggle to define it for men. Um, we struggle to define it for boys who are about to become men. Um, and you said that, you know, the young man was what, 19, something like that. Um, you know, coming in 21, 21. Okay. So 21. 21. Um, so, you know, that's an, that's an incredibly, that's an incredibly pivotal year for a young man because you 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 have to make some decisions there, right? Um, I think of my own father. I think of myself. You know, um, no one no one shows you in society and culture anymore. Now, in the past, and by the past, I mean say a hundred years ago, right? There might have been some definitive benchmarks of you do this, 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 because there were there were borders and boundaries and guardrails on culture <laughs> that were socially enforced uh, religiously religiously motivated for sure and and the dominant religion that motivated them was christianity and this is what this is what god says in the bible you will do and you've been you've been we've been working on you since you came out of the womb on this and so it's not a giant surprise that when you 
um, are old enough to marry a woman. You marry her, you marry one time, and you begin to build a house and build a life and build children and do all this stuff. Okay, that used to be the cultural messages. Now the guardrails, to paraphrase from the theologian Doug Wilson, have been pulled up, have been thrown in the field, and they're all, they've been on fire for a long time, and the ashes have been scattered. And the guardians of those guardrails are wandering down the road somewhere pretending that there would ever were any guardrails in the first place. And if there were, they had no responsibility to monitor them anyway. And so we're kind of left unmoored. This has impacted women in a different way than it has impacted men. But it's impacted both genders, okay? Yes. And women, uh, and we haven't focused on that aspect of it during this podcast kind of arc that we're doing, this arc of interviews. And we will later on. We'll do something for the ladies later on. Um, that's a different thing, feminism. And that's, that there's a whole pile of stuff over there, right? But for men, there's a gaping, yawning vacuum. And right now in the culture, you hear a lot about toxic masculinity, this and, uh, you know, anti-male that. But then on the same, at the same token, <laughs> and this is an irony, um, the best female swimmer is a person currently calling themselves a female right. who's biologically male. That'll probably get me canceled, but it's fine because it's the truth. Uh, and if I'm going to get canceled for the truth, that's fine. <laughs> but this is, this is the dynamic. These are the two tensions that are occurring in the culture right now. Identity, culture, um, politics, which is always downstream from culture, but politics, all these are kind of, kind of, these dynamics are pushing on young males, even if they don't know it. That young man scrolling through his Instagram feed is being pushed on by cultural forces that he's not even aware of. Yes. He's just not aware of them. Um, and so is that young woman. And so when you talk about mentoring a young man when you talk about connecting in that way with a young man um you you walked us through kind of how you overcome all of that but how is it that how can we do that in our own lives how can we do that as men in our families um how can we do that as men who are leading our sons how, how do we do that okay well first of all you you touched on a lot um, I do that you. on the regular. I build, I build big questions and then I'm like, okay, go ahead and answer that. Good luck. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, first of all, you're absolutely right. We have a society of males and not all of them grow up to be men. So I recently went to a conference in Dallas and it was the first ever conference on men in the pro-life movement and it was held at tony evans church and dr evans was one of our keynote speakers the long and short of it was this the part that was the the resounding part for me was that in our society we have a bunch of messed up men those messed up men contribute to a messed up family. The messed up family contributes if they go to church to a messed up church, which is supposed to be the light on the hill, but it contributes to a messed up church. The messed up church contributes to a messed up community, the community to a messed up city, a messed up county, a messed up state, a messed up country, and ultimately to contributes to a messed up world. If you want to change the world, it starts by making better men. Now, historically, you touched on feminism. I heard a great quote 
um, at the conference also. Uh, the speaker, her name was Amy Ford. Uh, she said that true feminism is the ability to carry a baby, raise a baby, and still fulfill your dreams. It is not about bashing men. It is not about silencing men because historically, society has taken men's voice out of the equation when it comes to child rearing, outside of discipline. And actually, you talked about 100 years ago. 100 years ago, discipline and punishment were synonymous. Well, I've come to find out that discipline and punishment are two totally different things. Jesus did not punish. Jesus discipled these men and women. Yeah. Discipline involves correction. Discipline involves education. Discipline mm -hmm. involves leading people into right decision-making. Discipline punishment equals freedom. <laughs> discipline and liberation, absolutely yeah. correct. Whereas punishment is strictly punitive. It, you know, it's it's just telling you this is your consequence and not telling you how to avoid it in the future or what you even did to get to that consequence. So when you ask, how do we improve that? There's a movement now called No Longer Silent. And it's telling men you have the greatest influence in the decision making process when it comes to life affirming decisions, when it comes to raising your sons to be to be men. And I have challenged people to no longer be silent. And there is so much that goes along with it. And the research proves it out. See, that's another thing. Like in this ministry, everything that we provide is evidence-based, whether it's, you know, medical grade pregnancy tests or ultrasounds, but also the curriculum that we adhere to is evidence-based. It's not this fly by the seat of your pants, oh, this feels good today. No, it is factual, it is true, and it works. So when you say, what can we do as a society to make you know, our men better, our families better, and to raise our children up to be better men, because let's stick with men for a while, not you know, the women in, it, in the equation yet. But what I say is absentee fathers have contributed dramatically to the downfall of the family unit have contributed to the downfall of creating men now that's not to say that a single mother is ever at fault when she raises her children up but there are things that she cannot instill in them that a father can and she can instill value she can instill um you know morals but she can't teach him how to be a man. She can't teach him how to, she can teach him how to go to school, but she can't teach him the things that we need our society to know, such as, you know, standing up for the, for the innocent, let's say, okay. Women stand up for the innocent every day. That's what the pro-life movement was based on. But how do we get a man to stand up to that? Men, you know, men are prideful. Um, we don't let our guard down. We don't like transparency. We don't like vulnerability. We think vulnerability is a horrible word, but I'll tell you that no healing can come unless you you allow yourself to be vulnerable. Well, if we could keep more fathers in the home, if we could keep, not necessarily do they, 
Do they need to live in the same home? I'm talking about as far as the family dynamics go. If we could have a father that would lead by example, even from a distance. You see, I was a good father, even from prison, because I instilled value in my daughter. I, I showed her what it was like to be a man, what I needed to do, whether it was staying out of trouble, keeping my nose clean, getting an education, working hard. I worked full time every day in prison. I didn't take off. I didn't rest on my laurels and say, well, I got a little education. I'm good. Or I stayed out of trouble so I can go, you know, just shoot hoops all day. Although I did, you know, have a well-rounded life as best I could. But I showed her what a man does. He accepts his responsibilities. I don't like the word sacrifice, but I did without certain things so that I could provide for her a little bit. That's what a man does, you know. And if we had more men in the family unit, again, that doesn't mean that because I say that there are, you know, we want to lead people into their roles as fathers, as specifically co-parents is a big deal for me because effective communication goes a long way when we're talking about dealing with our children. We need to be able to effectively communicate with the mothers of our children to be the best husbands, boyfriends, significant and sometimes insignificant others in the equation. So we need men to be role models because I have to say statistics prove that when the father in the in the family is not present, the children will seek role models outside the home, and generally they're negative. Now I live in a small city. Binghamton is a is a small city compared to, you know, to New York where I come from. Um, but it's a city nonetheless with the same problems. It's just a you know a microcosm of of the environment that I came from. Well, having said that, we have the same problems. We have the same drug abuse. Drug use, drug abuse, um, violence rates, crime rates, just on a smaller scale, but the ratio really isn't any different. Well, our children are going to go out into those streets and they're going to find those role models and they're going to imitate and emulate, mimic, ape, whatever you want to say. They're going to do just exactly what they witnessed done. Well, you know what? The opposite is also true. If they see their father being responsible, if they see their father staying clean, seeking sobriety, working, or at least seeking to maintain employment, bettering himself, whether it's through education or vocational training, going to church, having a religious foundation or a spiritual foundation where they can seek the things of the Lord. Communication, not being abusive. Then they will imitate that. They will emulate that. They will desire to be like that. And that's what I do. That's a back to my purpose for a second. My purpose is to show you, you can do it. I did it under what some would consider the worst of circumstances. I found ways to do it. And I'm not great. It's nothing. I'm not saying anything about me. I will give all credit to God. Don't get me wrong. But even at a time when I wasn't walking with God, I still did the things that I know were right to do. And. That, I believe, is what our children need. That is what our sons need to be raised up so that the cycle doesn't continue. Let us no longer be silent. Let us be active in this equation so that our, our sons don't repeat the same things that they experience and that our daughters don't seek men that aren't present. So the family dynamic grows exponentially 
based on what our children witness. Because our sons will be just like us and our daughters will seek men just like us. And that's something that, um, I love all of that, all of that. Um, that's something that, you know, I look at the cultural tropes around masculinity. So, you know, we're, we're recording this in, you know, 2022 and, you know, the, the beginning of the, the second quarter of 2022, um, after the Oscars has occurred and you know where I'm going with this, you know? Yep. Um, and you know, from the outside, <clears throat> that individual, <clears throat> the slapper <laughs> and if you if you're listening to this you'll know what I'm talking about the slapper from the outside looks like he's got you know he's got the 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 guardrails up looks like he's got everything you know going in the right direction now there have been rumors and there's been talk over the course of years um if you knew where to look for such things and if you paid attention that maybe everything wasn't you know wonderful in paradise and then mm -hmm. the slapped the slapped individual um, recently, and by recently I mean within the last five to ten years, um, experienced a divorce, family breakup, um, working all the time, you know, trying to be the best person that uh, that he could possibly be to his uh, to his family. And both the slapper and the slappy are minority males, uh, wealthy minority males, celebrity minority males, but minority males nonetheless. And so we have this explode into. We have this this incident explode into the popular consciousness, partially, I believe, as a publicity stunt, but also partially, uh, interestingly, as a an odd counter to the overwhelming cultural trope of Homer Simpson. And I go to I go back to Homer Simpson. Just I mean, you know, um, you know, the slightly portly, not really kind of aware what's going on guy at home uh, who does his work. Uh, and is guided by his wife so that he doesn't screw up things too badly. And and we're a long way from Leave It to Beaver culturally. We just are. And, and you know, I believe in the power of those cultural tropes. And I do believe that they influence and impact people more than we can possibly imagine. And so the kind of things you're talking about really get back to the idea that Charles Barkley, if any of you know who that person is, uh, who infamously said back in the day, you know, I am not a role model. Uh, he was both correct and wrong at the, all at the same time. But the biggest, but I would assert that the the biggest role model is exactly what Matthew is is exactly the person that Matthew was saying here. It's the father in the home. It's the mother in the home. It's that two parent family structure. And we know we talk about data. There is clear and unambiguous social science data going back to the the mid nineteen sixties that. Children do better in a two-parent home. They just do. Their outcomes are just better. The, it, is, it is volumetric levels of data. And yet, data does not convince. Data doesn't do it. You know, it's, uh, it's you know, these decisions that people make, uh, the sexual behavior that they engage in, um, you know, based on momentary lust that has lifetime mm -hmm. consequences, uh, you know, all of that. And you know, we used to have a society and culture that recognized that man was fallen in his nature, going back to Christianity, man was fallen in his nature and needed guardrails to remain uh, upright, needed guardrails to not be fallen, to not fall off the path. Uh, that's a phrase phrase that we use in uh, the other podcast. You know, we talk about staying on the path <laughs> as a leader. How do you stay on the path? How do you not fall off? Well, one of the ways you don't fall off is through discipline, right? But it's also through following the the well-worn paths that may be narrow and hard, but they are well-worn, um, 
that 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 previous generations to you have created who may know something more than what you know and so maybe it's not time to remake the wheel in your time because like you now have twitter and you have instagram and you have a slapper and a slappy who are famous in your social media profiles maybe they mm-hmm. maybe you don't know Maybe it's a good idea to do the old things because maybe there are people before you who came around before you who might have known more than what you know, and they might have um, they might have granted you a culture through that knowledge over the long course of time that's worth protecting and defending so that people can have it who are coming after you, like, you know, the children you're creating. <laughs> in a moment of sexual bliss, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we've just, we've got to be, I think we, I think, I think that's a, I think, and this is why I'm doing this arc of podcasts in this way. I think that this is a message. You're talking about the tactical and the practical, and I'm talking about the underpinning philosophical. And we have to have both of those together because the, the thing is the acid is being eaten. No, the acid is eating away at both of those things at both of those areas. Um, and one is questioned and one is not, uh, actually both of them are questioned. I would frame it that way. And when both of them are questioned, then, then you're, you're done, you know, you're, you're done. So we talked a lot about life choices. We talked a lot about your, oh, go ahead. Sorry. You had another point. I was going to say though, by the same token, like you say, like those that came before us might have some wisdom that we ourselves don't have today. Although or, we or, that have, we're, or that we're just we're just we're just like oh no we're better because like we can do these things like it's the arrogance know, of the ever present now. <laughs> and I'll tell you, um, what came to mind while you were talking, and I, you and I have probably talked about it previously, mm-hmm. is something I'm real fond of saying is that a smart man learns from his mistakes, mm-hmm. but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Right. When we can go back, and yes, a few generations previously we had what we refer to as the man's man, mm-hmm. okay? My father was a man's man, mm-hmm. one of the toughest guys I knew, you know, but it was physical. Mm-hmm. He would have emotions, but his major emotion was anger. Now we know that anger is never a primary emotion, mm-hmm. but what was he facing that brought the, the, the anger out? Right. And if I can look at him, in my wisdom today and say, mm-hmm. wait a second, what was it about that? And how do I not want to live what he lived? Mm-hmm. If I can instill that in young men today and they will learn from my mistakes and the mistakes of those before us, mm-hmm. then we can improve society. And you're right. The slapper and the slappy both have things in their pasts. Actually, they both have things in their presence, not yeah. just in their pasts. Yeah. That because that was not that was not based on the now. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was something deeper than that. And I heard it said just a couple of days ago that in that pent up rage, because that's it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just snap mm-hmm. your fingers and there you know you're over the top. It's like having a lion in a cage. You mm-hmm. open that door, he's ready to bolt long before that door ever opened. Mm-hmm. Well, the your rage is the same thing. So mm-hmm. your pent-up rage comes out on people that don't necessarily deserve it. Mm-hmm. 
yet it comes out regardless. Mm -hmm. And then we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, now it's, I'm so sorry. Now it's, oh my God, I want to heal. Well, if we can heal prior to the explosion, yeah, his apology is the bomb. His his apology is a master class in emotional intelligence. I keep seeing that headline all over the place. And I, I roll my eyes because I'm like, you know what would have been a master class in emotional intelligence? Not letting your emotions get out of control in the first place. Well, there's a saying, don't let your emotions supersede your intelligence. <laughs> and you know, yeah. if you can if you can think through it, we can make these conscious decisions and conscious decisions turn into conscious effort. Right. And the you know, like you mentioned earlier about you know providing and stuff so you know the word is clear let he who steals steal no longer that he'll have something to give to those in need mm -hmm. well you know let him work with his hands so how does that equate to what we're talking about now i'll say that work is not necessarily just physical mm -hmm. it is that that work on my psyche that is getting beyond my past that is going deep into myself allowing myself to be vulnerable even with myself there's things i don't want to even admit to god that i'm feeling mm -hmm. because i have even today and i consider myself by outward standards successful but there are even things today that i will say that i have trouble navigating but in wisdom in vulnerability even I'll go and I'll talk to Joe Kudre. I'm having a problem. He has seen me at my worst. He has seen me not just disappointed in things, but discouraged in things. And spoke to me, guided me, counseled me to press on. And not just press on to the mark of the high calling. Mm -hmm. That's something different. Yeah. That I can always do in my struggles. But to press on towards the mark of my potential, the mark of my purpose, which goes beyond just the high calling, you know, in mm -hmm. Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on towards my potential. Mm -hmm. I need to stretch myself. I need to step out of my comfort zone sometimes and say, this doesn't feel good. And I'll tell you something funny. Um, like you mentioned, your last podcast mm -hmm. with your with your friend. As you know, I worked nine years in substance abuse treatment. Yeah. You know, I, I worked in a substance abuse treatment program for nine years, working with guys every day. Mm -hmm. And I came out and now being here in, in Life Choices, I became associated with a program called Live Free. Mm -hmm. And it's sponsored by a local church, Calvary's Love Church in Johnson City. Mm -hmm. um, Sponsors live free and they have a men's group called prevailing over addiction. Mm -hmm. I was excited, right? I'm getting right back in it. Here I go. Yeah. And I went in and it's a Christian 12 step program. And uh, I think I'm making a difference and we're having these great discussions. And all of a sudden they call me in and said, listen, we want you to take over a new class. And it's based on Lisa Turkhurst's book, forgiving what you can't forget. Okay. So I said, well, you know, that's not really what I do, but okay, it's just another class and that's what I do, right? Right. So I have to tell you, preparing for this class opened up some wounds for me. 
mm-hmm. opened up some things that I wasn't expecting. To be perfectly honest, I was not expecting the feelings that came. Now I have to go in not only to a leadership meeting to explain how I'm going to deal with the class and what we're going to discuss, but now I have to start the class. Mm-hmm. And I went in with a group of guys that I don't know all of them very well, but they signed up for the for the class. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I made myself vulnerable straight out the gate. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am going to tell you that I am a participant first. I will facilitate this group, but I will come alongside you. And I'm asking you to come alongside me because I am telling you that right now, delving into this, developing this curriculum and developing these these discussions has opened up some stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Well, the ability to be vulnerable allows me to to grow. The ability to get out of my comfort zone, to stretch beyond what I consider my limitations, helps me to grow. And guess what? The more I grow, the more I can come along other you know come alongside men mm-hmm. that I find in my presence every day now. The more I can come alongside them, meet them where they're at. And tell them who they are. And I'm real fond of uh, the story of Gideon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least in his family. His family's the least in the land. Yeah. And where does God find Gideon? In a pit. Hiding. In a pit. <laughs> okay. He's in the wine press. He's hiding out of fear. That's what the word says. Yeah. And God met him where he was at. He didn't make himself come out of the pit, clean himself off to tell him who he was. God met him in the pit. Gave him his identity, mighty man of valor. Mm-hmm. Gave him his purpose and said, you, in your strength, will deliver. So he not only met him where he was at, he told him who he was, and he told him what his purpose was. Mm-hmm. Hey, son, that's what I'm here for today. Mm-hmm. That's my purpose today, is to lead men into these decisions, and to lead men into their true purpose, their identity, and to help them fulfill it as best I can. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. As we as we turn the corner here, um, how can we as listeners, you know, listening to this, listening to your passion, listening to your level of commitment, um, listening to your desire to impact the world that you have been placed in, um, and, and and giving these young men and quite frankly, you know, influencing young women and influencing the society and the culture in not only making better decisions, but in uh, but also in um, coming to better outcomes around family and thus, you know, you know, the explosion of creation that comes out of that. And, and as I am fond of saying, putting one more brick um, in the city of God, to, to paraphrase right. from Augustine, um, how can we support you in that work? What can we do as listeners to help you out? What can we do to help Life Choices out? What are the links we need to go to? I mean, we'll have links to Life Choices on on in the show notes below below this um, below this episode. Um, we'll have links to connect with Matthew if you're interested in connecting with Matthew personally um, below the show notes in the episode. Um, we'll have links to uh, the books that he mentioned and you know the the ministries that he mentioned to Calvary's Love um, as well. Um, but what are we, what are some of the ways that we can get involved? What are some action items that we can do? You know, what, what what can we do for you? How can we help you? How can we help life choices stay on the path? Okay. Um, first of all, if anybody 
if any men are in New York, if they're in my area, please get in touch. Um, volunteers. I like to say that we have like three phases of volunteerism. Mm -hmm. We have mentors who will work with men on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. uh, develop relationship with them and help to guide them through their, their life struggles. Mm -hmm. We have what I refer to as front end volunteers. Mm -hmm. They will be meeting men at the door when they come in, be able to have the discussion with them, not through coercion, not through manipulation, but just through education and mm -hmm. love. Again, this is a pro love movement and love them prayerfully into making life affirming decisions. And then we have behind the scenes volunteers that do other things around the center, uh, such as coin counting and um, fixing things and cleaning things and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're not in my area and you wish to support this ministry, it is a nonprofit. And as you know, in nonprofits, um, you know, we rely on our, our donors, we rely on mm -hmm. our sponsors. Right. So, you know, if, if somebody wants to make a a real impact in this movement, mm -hmm. uh, you know, donations are always welcome. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can make donations directly to the Life Choices Center. Um, so that's just another way. And I guess lastly, we are what's called a CareNet affiliate. Mm -hmm. CareNet is provides us with resources. CareNet provides us with educational materials, uh, trainings to raise up men and women facing these unplanned pregnancy situations. Mm -hmm. uh, donations even to CareNet have a trickle-down effect because it does affect us also. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to to contribute to the movement in general, um, I, their website is www.care-net.org. Um, that has an effect. And if you want to have an effect on either the men's movement or the women's movement in this pro-life movement, I, I encourage you just to seek out pregnancy resource centers in your area, mm -hmm. wherever you live. I encourage, you know, again, my purpose is to, to reach men. My purpose is to make my world better one man at a time. Mm -hmm. And I take that seriously. If you take it as serious as I do, and you want to provide to making better men, then just find your local pregnancy resource center that has a men's program. Because I'm sorry to say, not all of them do. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a men's program of, let me rephrase that. We didn't have a full-time men's program mm -hmm. of this magnitude until the vision was fulfilled. The vision at Life Choices started years ago. Mm -hmm. And again, my executive director, Michelle Brown, had the vision to have a full-time men's program. Well, we had a few faithful men that were committed to to the cause mm -hmm. and they they kept that cause afloat here in the center with the few male clients that came in mm -hmm. but it was an amazing op opportunity 
for me to come in on the ground that they already laid mm-hmm. and to start to build this program up from there. And I'm, I'm thankful that they remain in this program and that they've come alongside me to shore me up. Mm-hmm. Because some days I'll tell you, I feel like I'm swimming upstream. Mm-hmm. But the floodgates have been opened and the men are coming into this center like never before. And that's not anything that I've said. I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I started this in January. I'm getting this from the veterans in this program, it, um, the veterans in this organization that are saying we've never seen men come through the door like that. We've never seen women bringing the fathers of these children through the doors like like they are now. And we need people to come alongside us. Well, our few mentors have come alongside us. I've sent out the call for men to come alongside us and to join this movement. So you can do that at your local pregnancy resource center in their men's program also. Um, So that would be the ways that you could support this movement and this program and life choices in general. Awesome. So we will have links to all of that. We will have those resources um, and links to those resources, um, including uh, care-net.org in the show notes below the player on the Hassan Sorrell's audio experience. Once again, I want to thank Matthew for coming on today. We really do appreciate you being here. Thank you for coming on and talking so passionately um, about this topic and about this area and uh, giving us some real practicalities right, about how we can actually uh, help men uh, stay on the path to becoming better men. So thank you. Thank you, Hassan. It's great to meet you. All right. I guess that's it. I'm out.